0: hello and welcome to hacked off in today's episode i've got a guest with me so so gems why don't you introduce yourself and what are we here to talk about today
1: well thank you very much Holly. Yeah, my name is uh, James McKinley. I'm currently the Group Information Security Officer at Barbican Insurance. Uh we're underwriters on the Lloyd's market. And I um I'm taking the opportunity to come in and talk to you about antivirus. Mm-hmm. Um and in a way that is like let's not be too controversial but I turned <laughs> antivirus off. Mm-hmm. And that is the starting point for today's discussion. I think um, there's a a lot of, we've always done it this way, Mm -hmm. about uh, the antivirus market. I don't believe it's worked for about 20 years and uh, happy to talk about how I got to where I am today on that.
0: I think the start is then for people who haven't heard any potential controversy around antiviruses. um, Have you made the decision to turn it off purely because it doesn't work or do you think that it is increasing the risk?
1: Now, we, t- we turned it off because it was a performance impact mm-hmm. and we were not getting any alerts. Okay. So I'm not saying everyone should turn it off tomorrow. I'm saying there are other ways to deal with the problem of code you don't want executing in your environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is another um, line of investigation, and that is people using antivirus as a way to get into your systems. Mm-hmm. And because it's everywhere, because it has system level, kernel level permissions, um, it's very powerful if you can take over someone's antivirus. So we didn't turn it off for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not worried about nation state actors with PhD students creating mm-hmm. backdoors. We are worried about performance and security, Mm -hmm. and we are not necessarily following the crowd. You know, if you do the same as everyone else, you'll never get out in front. (laughs)
0: It's a a fair opening point, I think. Um, So performance issues led you to make that decision, but you said that there's alternative ways of handling malicious code as as a risk, so I guess that's a sensible starting place. If it's not AV, if it's not antivirus, then then what is it that we we could do?
1: Right, well, we... We were able to turn AV off, not, like I say, I wouldn't recommend it for everyone Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have recommended it for every environment, but there have to be other, better controls in place before you'd be prepared to do something like that. Because you can imagine in a regulated environment with external Mm -hmm. auditors, you're going to get a lot of pushback um, for not doing things the way things have always been done. But there are three or four things Mm -hmm. that I don't think people... Um, invest enough time in when it comes to securing an environment mm-hmm. that we did. And because of that, we weren't getting any alerts. We weren't 800 days without an incident <laughs> before we turned it off. Uh, you know, I yeah. had to have some evidence to take to people and say, this is why I want to do it like this. Um, and some of, the, some of the other areas, that mm-hmm. I don't think people, um, this isn't everyone, but in general have done enough effort in to allow you to mm-hmm. to take this different approach one is hardening your devices two is removing local admin rights mm-hmm. um, three is running a non-persistent virtual desktop mm-hmm. now that's the last one is the one that makes things the safest but also has a massive performance impact with a standard av client there are specialized av clients for that sort of environment but why would you put those on? And the last one that really helped us with the evidence was application whitelisting.
0: Yeah. So, so I rec- regularly recommend application whitelisting and almost always get a pushback on that based on administrative overhead. So how, how can you address the problem of application whitelisting can be hard to initially set up? Well,
1: um, I was very fortunate I had the support of... Um, the IT management team, Mm -hmm. who had the support of the managing director back office to do things better, to do things uh, new, different, if we could bring the evidence. So ours is a heavy Microsoft environment Mm -hmm. using uh, Active Directory and GPO, which is ideal for playing with AppLocker. Now, there is a lot that you should uh, consider when doing AppLocker, but you can run it in log-only mode. There are lots of tricks for event forwarding, collecting the logs, reviewing the logs, that they, you don't need a big investment in upskilling your staff, a big investment in new tools. You don't have to go and buy a half a million pounds worth of Splunk to do this. Mm-hmm. You can do it with a little bit of PowerShell, a little bit of Greylog. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we were fortunate that they supported the idea of client into VDI. Um, They also supported the idea of turning up security settings to the max, Mm -hmm. vulnerability scanning any environment at any time, because if an attacker was in and they were being noisy, they might do that. (laughs) So it's not the idea that, oh, vulnerability scanners knock services over, or vulnerability scanners flood the network. Our network capacity didn't see the vulnerability scanner. Our services didn't wobble when it scanned. So using the output of that with an authenticated scan allows you to tune the registry to the recommendations of whichever uh, vendor or um, government um, rules you're using. So there is so much material out there to help you. Mm -hmm. And you can do it without breaking things. And you can do a lot of it in logging mode or little batches of test groups. So so thorough testing, good change management, Mm -hmm. good release management, good testing... Good collecting the evidence, taking it to management and saying this has been running for 10 days, it's been running for 10 months, you know, you've seen no impact, you've got no calls in service desk, let me ramp it up the mm-hmm. next level. So ratcheting things up based on evidence, good logging, yeah. uh, good procedures. So that's how we arrived at it. So we've got what I consider very good um, active directory and GPO management, mm-hmm. um, we it it was a fight at first, but taking local admin yep. off everybody um, is somewhere that lots of places have never managed to get to.
0: I think this is one of the things that, that comes up from, from having a background in pen testing where people talk about the benefits of antivirus and, and, and how they can block malicious software. And then if they're running things as... Admin, well, I can just disable
1: the antivirus anyway. <laughs> exactly. If you have managed to interact with a user through a link in an email, mm-hmm. or is the classic, <laughs> but there are so many other ways, mm-hmm. um, and you are admin, it's actually trivial to move from admin to system. Once mm-hmm. you're system, there's nothing you're not allowed to change. Yeah. Um, so even antivirus that has self-protection, by the time you got to system... You can mess with that. Yeah. And this is where the non-persistent VDI mm-hmm. also comes in because the way that we've got it set up... So
0: just, just in case people haven't heard of VDI. Of course,
1: yeah. So when I refer to VTI mm-hmm. in this conversation, it's virtual desktop infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So um, it's using RDP, which okay. has had a lot of issues um, in the oh, standard protocol recently. <laughs> well, recently. <laughs> and and so the gateway. There are, there are always things going to come out of mm-hmm. um, the woodwork that make you think, oh, was this the right approach? But for us, the benefits outweighed all the the problems. So, yeah, our virtual desktop infrastructure, you access it uh, in the same way as um, you would remote into a box, (laughs) a a Windows box anyway, using RDP. Um, Having non-persistent means that when you log out, The machine you've been working in gets destroyed Mm -hmm. and when you log in, one is created for you. Um, So there was an investment in infrastructure to allow us to do that because um, we were 300 people in four countries. Not a small company, though. So, yeah, we're we're out of medium size into Mm -hmm. the bottom of enterprise when you're talking about 300 people in four countries. and. We like to think about well, we're resilient, and we're you know if we if we tell people this is how they're going to work, then it has to be on. Yeah, it doesn't just have to be on nine till five in the UK. It has to be eight till six Monday to Friday in the UK. People have to be able to log mm-hmm. in the weekend to catch up, and the people around the world have to be logging in their working hours. Mm-hmm. So it had to be 24, twenty four seven three six five um, infrastructure. So there had to be two data centers. Yeah. The networking and the clustering of services, that meant that you, we, we could run 300 users in one data center. If something goes wrong, we could run 300 users in another data center. Mm-hmm. Whilst we're updating <laughs> things, we might want to run 150 yeah. users in one, 150 users yeah. in another. So this is why I said this isn't for everyone. This is just a great place to get to. I'm mm-hmm. so proud of where we've got to. Uh, I think one of the big things um,
0: that, that's kind of implied here, but maybe not explicit for those who haven't worked much on on VDI, I mentioned earlier that one of the issues with application whitelisting is the administrative overhead. But if you're using a VDI, you have a very, very standardized environment, right?
1: Yes, and we've, we've made a lot of effort to improve that. Mm-hmm. We've tr- experimented in that, you know. If someone wants Vizio, if someone wants Project, how do we do it? Do we yeah. put them in a different... Do we give them a different machine or mm-hmm. do we put it on every machine and restrict people getting to it? So there are lots of com- conversations like that to be had mm-hmm. with your licensing team, with your um, capacity people, um, but we, we're we very proud of where we've got to. Um, you're right about the standard ISH and also... The, with a bit of automation, a bit of good workflow, it gives you the opportunity to try patches mm-hmm. quicker than, oh, we'll get medium patches on in 90 days, or we'll get low patches on sometime in the, yeah. when we move from Windows 7 to Windows 10. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, we set ourselves uh, getting Cyber Essentials Plus. Now, I when I first heard about it many, many years ago, mm-hmm. I didn't take much notice of cyber essentials. But uh, since then, I have come to really love it Mm -hmm. as uh, a technical standard that guides you to a much safer place. And so um, as it's presented to to us and what we have to do, it's in the minimum standards for being on the lights market is you get cyber essentials. Um, And cyber essentials plus is where you get an auditor in to check your controls. And so we set ourselves this level. And in there, there's a mention of a patch cycle of 14 mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly, lots of people push about that about every patch, but it's for critical security patches. Let's have those on. For me, if you haven't deployed a critical security patch in 48 hours, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, this non-persistent VDI infrastructure that we invested in, in ways of working as well as just mm-hmm. um, costs, allows us to do to test things, roll things back. You know, you can archive off the image that was working yesterday. And because there's no um, user data in it, mm-hmm. it's just what the user needs in applications. We, If there's a problem, if there's a problem in one day, if there's a problem in four days, we can easily keep them working. Because something I sometimes think that... Um, IT and security forget, because we we love our jobs, we're so mm-hmm. focused on you know, new tech on um, or keeping things alive, depending on if you're in run or change, um, is we're actually there just to for the business to make money. So mm-hmm. the business must always open yeah. this version of this spreadsheet with that macro enabled. Then the head of information security, the CISO, the SOC manager, wherever the person who says, I don't like that macro is... <laughs> they cannot stop the money, business making money. So you have to have ways that are flexible enough yep. that the business can keep doing business, mm-hmm. but you don't feel like you're opening yourself up to trouble. So I think I think one of
0: the things, just to pull out there, you mentioned uh, cyber essentials. Hopefully everyone who's listening is, is uh, at least somewhat aware of cyber essentials. But one of the things I think maybe not everyone will be aware of is it, it's changed over time, right? When it when it first came out, it was very prescriptive and antivirus was an expectation. But now Cyber Essentials has come to the idea that maybe there's alternative ways as well. So do you find any problem with Cyber Essentials or does it just fit your... I,
1: well, I, I was asked to take us from Cyber Essentials mm-hmm. and we, at that point, were just deciding to turn off um, mm-hmm. AV to Cyber Essentials after its first revision where it introduced the idea of yeah. app whitelisting as a malware prevention strategy. Um, so it might have been version 1.1. It's, it's evolved again yeah. since then because uh, we're talking, I think, 2017 mm-hmm. um, when I was looking at this first. And so the fact that they have um, matured to say it doesn't have to be traditional AV so long as it does the job and that's why when we do Cyber Essentials Plus and invite an auditor in to <laughs> test our controls and they they have a, a, set, a test script mm-hmm. that says, I will go to this HTTPS site that is not in your blacklists, I will download this file that mm-hmm. is a type that your company uses, .zip, .docx, whatever, mm-hmm. and then I will try and open it and then I will try and do something bad with it. Yeah. And it's only the last step. Can I do something bad? That if your controls jump in then and stop mm-hmm. it, then you're okay. Um, you don't need to keep stop things at the gateway. You yeah. don't need if you if you use blacklisting, if you use sandboxing, if you use um, all sorts of different filters. They won't work for the the polymorphic stuff, the stuff that's set up just for this attack, or the stuff that changes every time mm-hmm. it's it's created. But the Cyber Essentials Plus audit allowed us to just so long as everything blocks according as to long As long as the impact is blocks, right? Is, yeah. As long as um you know the the attacker's hooks inside the system mission fails, yeah. um then you're okay. So I I have come to really love Cyber Essentials. It's now it might be designed for small companies and we are a large company. And so it becomes quite Quite a challenge to get it for larger companies, but mm-hmm. I'd still recommend it. But well, again, with, with um, standardisation, that can help a lot, right, when you're doing
0: um, build reviews and things like that, if you yes. if you have a standard machine or a small number yeah, of standard a machines. a
1: small number of standard machines with good records of mm-hmm. um, when they were updated and why. So um, if you're on a 14-day, and and going back to the 14-day, mm, yeah. I know, we'll, go, we'll come back to those <laughs> things. You know, I don't just ask for critical security patches in 14 days, and then other windows for other things to come Mm -hmm. in. I just think because we've got this environment where we can roll things off if there's a problem, apply everything straight away and see what happens. And again, that in vulnerability scanning world, in the patch management world, has been shied away from for 20 more years you know, we're in 2020 I think, now. <laughs> I think one of the things of that is
0: it, it's this balance, isn't it? You know, ask any pentester; they can give you an example of a vulnerability that was weaponized very, very quickly, right? Something like um, Heartbleed. Well, from from Heartbleed being disclosed to the being publicly available attack scripts, so it's something like eight hours. It was a, a fast example. But when you when you talk to the people on the other side, the defensive guys, they'll say something like, "Oh, you know, but patches can break things." Well, how frequently does that actually happen? Yes,
1: I. Um <laughs> it does still happen, but so rarely mm-hmm. there is more value to me personally, my thoughts, there's more value to trying it and, and having a backout plan yeah. than not trying it and waiting. Oh, we, we always sit on a patch for 10 days um, to see if anyone complains about it outside of the company. No, do your own testing. Yep. <laughs> oh, I mean, You're getting
0: me into rant mode here. I think it's on those things, isn't it? It's like um, if everybody says we sit on a patch to see if it breaks for somebody else, it's like, well, who's actually testing it, <laughs> well, right?
1: well, that is linked to, say, some of the SSL problems. For people who say, well, open source software is reviewed so well oh. by everyone. And, and holes sit there for 12 years, 18 yeah. years, you know. And there are other things that um, are very serious, uh, the eternal blue and things yeah. that sat there for so long, <laughs> um, and then people didn't patch. <laughs> what, <yeah. laughs> so you want a cry uh, if
0: people are wondering about yeah. what we're talking just about. Just remember
1: seventeen oh one oh. Yep. If you've if you've missed seventeen oh one oh on any critical machine in your Windows infrastructure, you, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so I think um, that. There's another benefit that, that again, we've, we've probably implied without making explicit is not only are you able to test faster by pushing patches out, um, you're all also able to test on your infrastructure and not infrastructure that's not reflective of your production environment, right? If you're just pushing things out.
1: There is that, yes. Yeah. So we, um, again, by investing in infrastructure, we're very fortunate to run a pre-prod environment mm-hmm. that is um, set up in the same way as um, production. So when it comes to uh, GPO changes mm-hmm. that might have an impact like um, Diffie-Hellman settings, SSL TLS settings mm-hmm. when you when you set them blanket across 500 servers they might work on 499 yeah. but then it might break your TLS on on an old version of Exchange. Yeah. Now TLS on mail servers you might if you've got mandatory routes, it's probably business critical. It's probably emails coming all yep. the day from this from this business partner and in the contract it says mandatory TLS. Mm-hmm. I do hope you've got a technical audience because we're rattling through the acronyms yeah, and the security so, enhancements. It's so difficult, and it's
0: one of those... <laughs> I, I, I generally do stop the guest if I think there's any acronym that people might be unfamiliar yeah. with. VDI is a good example. But some of them are just hard, right? Because oh, TLS, transport Layer security. Yeah. Oh, the, the second phase of uh, secure socket layer. Oh, it just gets so technical yeah. really quickly. But, but we're, mandatory we're talking TLS between mail right?
1: servers yeah. is um, when um, two businesses say we will only... Pass emails between our servers when there is an encrypted tunnel yep. available, uh, and when that tunnel goes down and things queue up, you know, phones light up red because <laughs> it's a uh, business critical service. Um, so so we're very fortunate we have a pre prod environment. It's not to the same power or scale as production, mm-hmm. but it is set up in the same way. Okay, and we've tried to do as much automation as possible.
0: So we've talked about um, some uh, related benefits of of moving towards this idea of, of not using AV. So um, standardisation across the network in itself is a benefit ignoring the, the antivirus fact. And um, but because we opened with, uh, you made the decision because of a performance impact around antivirus, what if somebody listening in says, well, our AV doesn't cause a performance impact so this whole conversation's pointless? Is there anything you would say there?
1: Yes. I would say that my model, mm-hmm. there's all these other benefits that we've covered. Yep. Um, that if you stick in the way we've always done it, mm-hmm. you will either not get to this place or you'll get there very slowly. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a paradigm shift. It's a changing the way you look at things. So there, um, it's quite an old post now, but and it came out I think first on a Microsoft blog. Mm-hmm. But there was the the ten immutable laws of information security, and. Um, one of the early ones, is if an attacker can execute code on my machine, it's no longer my machine. Mm. And that is what, in the early days of Mm -hmm. antivirus, antivirus was covering. But personally, I think that the antivirus, even the more next-gen stuff, whether it's cloud-managed, whether it's, um, I don't want to say, AI ML, but I've yeah. got to yeah, yeah. because it's in all the marketing. For you could next say gen you could stuff.
0: say um, behavioral analysis,
1: best, yeah, which, which yeah, covers yeah. most of the ML. I might trip up over that. I might not <laughs> be able to say behavioral. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so whether it's AV, next gen AV. Yep. Personally, I think that um, application whitelisting and removing admin rights mm-hmm. do more for your security posture than moving from. Semantic to McAfee to Trend to CrowdStrike. Sorry yeah. to bring vendor names in That's but I'll just fine. rattle a few okay. off. I'm very Ma- vendor Many agnostic. vendors are
0: available. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not the
1: BBC though are we? <laughs> um, So I just think it gives you a different mindset. If you yeah. set out to get away from it. The other thing um, we changed inside Barbican mm-hmm. that I had to bring evidence and I've had to fight the corner so many times is we turned off password history and turned off password complexity as settings in active directory okay and increased the password length to a minimum of 12 so i wanted to create up to one two three four five six then wouldn't Pass. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, it's long enough. <laughs> but with regular password audits, and if you fail the audit, then they change your password at next login, is set.
0: So, so how, how are you doing password audits then?
1: Or what are it is options? a very sensitive process. Mm-hmm. Only two people involved in it, and I'll tell you offline. Okay. Because I am not having that process <laughs> in the public domain. Okay. But there
0: is, there is a thing here. Um, some companies will be concerned with... Even complexity. If we go with it, what's the default at the moment? Minimum A, complexity enabled. So, yeah. so password one with a capital P, right? That's the, that's yeah, the same yeah. risk. Um, so so some companies might think, well, this is a risk that we want to get rid of. Can we do uh, password blacklisting, you know, block uh, dictionary mm-hmm. words, those kinds of things? And most of the time, the implementations I've seen for that, it's a, it's a third-party add-on to Active Directory, right? And that that's a scary thing. We don't want to do schema updates with third-party products if we can avoid them. Mm-hmm. So there's cost-benefit there, but... Um, yeah the idea of a password audit is just it's another way of
1: of dealing with that risk right it is and there's a lot of data that uh, available you know from a powershell line mm-hmm. that will help you so I regularly have a few powershell scripts that will tell me you know active user accounts mm-hmm. plus uh, password last change date because yeah. people still do have to change it um, and so that I can I I have a, a feeling, a baseline for the age of things. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other things that um, we have done before we got to that uh, that make because I won't do something that doesn't make us feel safe. And it's warm, data-driven arguments, right? You, you're bringing bringing evidence, but
0: outside of our buildings, mm-hmm.
1: you have to have multi-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. That is um, push notify pin. I'm quite happy with that. Yeah. So you put in your username, your password, and nothing happens unless you've got your phone with you, and your phone wakes up, mm-hmm. and the app says, "Is this you?" So that makes me feel better about password spraying attacks against external services. Mm-hmm. We also turned off webmail. We were like, if you know, yeah. so many people get attacked through their mail infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Let's not make it visible. It's not... It's there and you can't find it because it's hidden behind some... Producing the attack cloak. surface. We though, just right? turned it off. Yeah. Um, if you want your work email outside of work, then you either remote in mm-hmm. to our fancy wall garden <laughs> or you get it in a sandboxed uh, MDM app. Yeah. So I wanted to reduce um problems with the usernames and passwords. We also we get on that subject get vendors um phoning up and saying do you know how many users, your how many of your usernames and passwords are in um this breach or that breach? Yeah. And those calls are very short. <laughs> because the, the password that someone Log used to sign up for, for MySpace or MyFitnessPal mm-hmm. or um, thisChristmashamper.co.uk or whatever is not valid on my network. Mm-hmm. There are other ways to get email addresses. So I'm not like, oh, the world's falling in because some of our email addresses are in these dumps. Mm-hmm. Lots of the people have moved on to other organizations, yeah. so they're not valid. So people come to me with users that aren't valid and passwords that aren't valid and say, Oh, buy my product that um, watches for data breaches or searches the dark web for logins and things. Um, and to any vendors who want to speak to me about that sort of subject, that approach doesn't work, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we digressed away from. We turned off AV. To
0: um, yeah, I think I think the the points are valid though, right? Because you, you, you turned off AV because
1: of a, a, all an the issue, other controls. But there were there were other to. benefits as well. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So it um, there are the the controls list in place carries on. Logging turned up to the max. Yep, and then sent somewhere and then looked at. Right. by a human or uh, a product um check, check by me <laughs> yeah check by me and some of my uh, trusted colleagues like the password process yeah. um uh, there is a published process in our confluence mm-hmm. so if anyone does manage to to root us and does manage to steal our confluence, you'll see the process <laughs> um But it's only operated by two people. And we then look in the logs for that type of activity happening at a time we weren't expecting it or similar activity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So logging, turn it up, (laughs) send it somewhere. Not just system logging, security logging, PowerShell logging, Sysmon logging, AppLocker logging. All of these cost you. Yeah. But they all provide you with valuable intelligence. Um, but also user behavior. Uh, this user is, uh, normally only moves this much data around, but yesterday they moved a hundred times more data around. Mm-hmm. Could be the mood department. Could be they're running some kind of archive, or it could be that uh, they've just resigned and they're taking, and they're trying <laughs> to take the backup yeah. of the favorite documents. Yeah. So we do user behavior analysis mm-hmm. as well over the logs. And then what I say is generally accepted as the easiest way into an organisation, email. Yep. So we uh, when I arrived, we were on SPF. I then took us through DKIM, DMARC, um, domain impersonation, r- um, return path filtering, actually get the DMARC reports and check them, um, update your SPF for marketing activities mm-hmm. and then we have about nine layers of email filters that for the first four or five months were tuned on a daily basis yeah. and are still checked. Another thing about security controls that are looking at user behaviour or email traffic or web traffic, it's not set and forget. Yeah, you, know, you don't spend a month putting a new yeah. shiny box in and then uh, the next time you think about um, it is when they say there's a major upgrade coming. I would recommend you go in and you check, is this doing what I thought it would do? Not, is this what the salesman said it would do? (laughs) Is this doing what I need and what I want and and is it capable and is it still delivering and does it need tuning? Do go back and check what you put in is another recommendation. So many, many layers of filtering in different places, in the cloud, in the DMZ, on the server. Um. With the subject of email, give people a way to report things they don't like the look of. It could be a marketing that they're sick of getting or Mm -hmm. it could be something that needs to be kept an eye on. Um, So Beck, CEO, CFO, email fraud is uh, an area that will... AV won't help you with, but will get through... Your filters because it's a personal email chat. It's trying to derail the human thinking Mm -hmm. and say, you know, I am this other person and I want you to do something. So going back to turning off AV, AV doesn't protect you from Beck. If you've got all this logging, filtering and hardening in place, AV also has nothing to stop. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, lots of filtering. But also not so much that the business can't do what the business needs to do. People are allowed macros. People are allowed Word, Excel, PDF. People are allowed Zoom, Webex. You know, people are allowed to do their work. But we've not had anything any antivirus would help us with.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the one of the things with antivirus like products, isn't it? Is that that. Sometimes we think of it like it's a magic black box and it just oh it protects us from threats when actually it's quite quite a specific thing that it's trying to do. Even when you add in things like behavioral analysis or machine learning, those kinds of things. that the, there's alternative approaches. And I think you know, the pushback on application whitelisting, it's it's more to do with how the infrastructure
1: yeah. set up. So we did do a lot of logging. You can put it in logging mode. We also came up with um, some scripts yeah. for um profiling programs we wanted to add into the image mm-hmm. um which is how you know zoom webex angry ip scanner <laughs> um m remote yeah putty gooey you know there are things that come up you think let's put it in the image and let it launch um but yeah, the management of it. It helps that we've got all these standardized images, but there's still a management effort. So um, little scripts, little helpers, um, little priority queues in service desk that gets pushed to the people who know what they're doing and can get in quickly. Um, now, in the Windows environment, so there's lots of different ways to do mm-hmm. app listing, but we use AppLocker. And if you're an admin, AppLocker doesn't apply to admins. Mm-hmm. Another reason to remove admin access from everyone. <laughs> yeah. There are also a number of default folders that it doesn't watch. Change that list. Yeah, because another thing I would suggest once you're on this journey is you get your pen testers in who are specialists in subverting UAC. So do you want to expand UAC? <laughs> oh, I guess,
0: I guess we should. It's that annoying pop-up that runs every time you try and run some software, yeah, user so, account
1: control. <laughs> so user account control. So we've got user account control turned up to the max. We've yeah. got Appless and AppLocker in blocking mode mm-hmm. turned up to the max with the defaults change. But we ended up at that position after getting pen testers who specializes yep. in subverting these controls in and, and hardening it on the back of their work. So do get people who can specialise in VDI breakout yeah. and app blocker uh, subversion.
0: I think um, I think one of the things just to to add at the end there would be, um, so that's quite a compelling argument, right? We talk about a lot of the benefits of of going a different way instead of doing the traditional antivirus thing. Here are other benefits for the business. But you did open with uh, this approach isn't for everyone. So if a, if a, if somebody is listening and thinks for their organisation this sounds great. Um, are there any kind of gotchas? Are there anything that they should um, be aware of that might make them think that isn't for them? Um,
1: I would say that the do your research, do things, ratchet things up mm-hmm. slowly. So do your research, do evidence-based changes, do good change management. Um, and be careful with the skill level of the people who are making these decisions. Now, I've been pulling the backs off computers since I was eight years old. <laughs> I've been um, testing computer security <laughs> since I was 15 <laughs> years old. I, um, I've i been a pure blue for the last 10 years. Um, so when I build my evidence for this is a good way to go well this is uh, you know it comes from a position of my knowledge and my friends knowledge Mm -hmm. and the kind of pen testers i would employ to validate where we're going allows us to sleep at night and be safe if you are new to computer security surround yourself by people who are not new to computer security before you put your head above the parapet with this great new way of doing things Um, that didn't work for you. Because if someone has control of your computer at system level, Mm -hmm. they could camp there until someone with admin credentials um, comes on and then they could move laterally. They could sit there and and sit there and wait for Mm -hmm. the the goose to lay a golden egg and then they're off. And if your skill level and your detection, so Mm -hmm. if you think about protect, detect, respond... I've talked about ramping up protection because the fashion in the propaganda at the moment is protection doesn't work you need to detect and respond yeah you need them all but don't don't stop spending money on protection <laughs> um, you also need to validate that's why I come back to um, yeah. pen test teams um, they, if you're outside of financial services they might not need to be crest registered but why not have crest registered anyway um, you might want to expand on crest and that side. Well, I think of pen I think
0: the thing the thing to add wouldn't necessarily be to talk about certain uh, councils or certain certification levels. It's what you mentioned earlier of um there isn't one kind of pen tester, right? You talked about mm. specialists in Vdi breakouts because that's the thing that you're trying to build and therefore one testing. yes so so yeah, um, you have I think everyone is probably aware of web application specialists and infrastructure specialists. But actually you can get more niche skills than that
1: as well, so it's worth looking yeah, at. Yeah, well, the, the fashion in red teaming mm-hmm. and uh, advanced attack simulation, those the people who have been in that game for a while, that not just read a couple of books and think they'll <laughs> give it a go, but the people who live and breathe it, yep. they know about um, how to live off the land in a Windows environment. They know how to subvert the standard controls, get them in Yeah. on a very scenario-based you know, how, I think, how I think that actually hard is our VDI?
0: Me- mentioning that is, is probably worth highlighting as well. It's just, um, it, you know, antivirus is traditionally going to block malicious software. Isn't it? It's traditionally going to block um, third-party tools that do bad things. Whereas living off the land, as you mentioned there, this idea of using um, built-in tools or PowerShell is installed everywhere, um, that, that's another approach and, and could be an entirely different risk.
1: And be very careful with, you know, a few out. You know, you take something out of the box and mm-hmm. you do the first page of recommendations. Mm-hmm. If you do that with a VDI environment, you might um, you might disable command.exe, and if it's a 2016 box, command.com might not be on there. <laughs> if you go to the search box and type PowerShell, yeah, it will launch PowerShell inside Windows System 32. If you then go down to Spool Drivers Color, you will be able to launch whatever you want <laughs> with a, um a command shell yeah, There's yeah. some tips for people who like playing on Windows boxes.
0: <laughs> yeah, or the the old school one would be um if cmd.exe is blocked then open ftp.exe because that can execute local commands it's, as well. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's yeah, always another really another um lol binary, another living off the land tool. Um so that's a that's a, a pretty broad look at security. I guess starting at the point of antivirus isn't, yes. isn't a perfect solution. Um is there anything else that you you think we,
1: we've missed? Well, on the, when I was thinking about the AV subject mm-hmm. being something for, for, for a chat, I, I've talked about, from a performance point of view, mm-hmm. if you've got other controls and they are tuned and they're validated and they're working for you. But um, AV has other problems. And Now, a common thing if you have an incident mm-hmm. is to bring a little portable scanner. Yeah. Now, if you search uh, Vault 7... Uh, probably the CIA tools. <laughs> they they trojaned the portable AV scanners to install their backdoors. <laughs> so someone would rock up at your desk and say, "Oh, you've had a problem. Let's run McAfee Stinger." Yeah, and it would actually be backdooring you. Um, so I just thought that was quite a comedy insert that AV could actually be more trouble than it's worth.
0: I think I think there is there is a, a point to raise there just in terms of. Um, not necessarily that you know a specific AV is is a problem, but um, AV is reliably installed everywhere, right? Not not necessarily the same antivirus, but it, it's a thing that you can expect as a tester will be available. Mm. So if you could find a vulnerability in a common yeah, scanning I was product, going to come
1: to this as that, well that
0: runs as system runs as high priv you know kernel level, um, then that's an awesome foothold.
1: Yes, it um, you can be and lots of the lots of the um, clients, you know. Break out and use command.exe, use PowerShell to do little checks and then send the results home. So you have a service running a system that is used to using um, operating system tools so they won't be turned off. They'll be available to Mm -hmm. them. And there are are cases of people saying, I don't want to tell you how I did it, but (laughs) I was on everyone's AV. Yeah. The, um, in, in, in current news, um, I, I haven't spent a lot of time looking into this, but the um, the Mitsubishi data breach, was yep. that tied back to um, Zero Day in, in one of the big vendors? I think uh,
0: the thing that I mentioned on this podcast, I believe I mentioned it, was um, the funny thing of the Mitsubishi breach initially was it wasn't them that announced it, it was the, the local media that announced it. But at the time, um, again, it was, there was no details released, was there, so... It's all alleged as far as I'm aware.
1: Alleged, yeah. But um, there are... I do... You see, I might come across a very anti-AV, but not anti-AV companies. Mm-hmm. There's a difference to, you know, a little service that everyone thinks they need to companies that are all about research and all about keeping the bad guys off your system and they move into other things. They move into sandboxing, they move into cloud security, and mm-hmm. things. So the companies behind these things... Um, Really proud of the work they do. Mm-hmm. They're researchers, uh, everything. So uh, I think that's important to get across. As someone in the security mm-hmm. industry, um, the what those big brands can bring in terms of hiring developers and hiring researchers and trying very hard to keep the bad guys out of your system um, has to be commended. So this was all about a control that yep. we were moving away from. This is not an attack on the AV industry. It, absolutely not. They are to be commended on mm-hmm. just how much um, valuable money is spent yep. on on research. It's just
0: not the only option. I think that's the the thing. Yeah. It? yeah. Well, um, wow. I think that's a good summary. Even though it feels like we we straight away kind of thing. We did, we did stick to the core point of AV is not the only option. It requires a little bit of work, but but there's there's alternative approaches. Um, so, James, thank you very much for, for coming in and, and, and giving us your viewpoint. And um, if anyone listening has has any um, counterpoints or anything that you think we didn't highlight quite enough, um, then please let us know over social media. And, and if necessary, we could always get James back in for a part two and he can, he can um, address the counterpoints. But, yeah, a really interesting one. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you very much, Holly.